Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to ask you to open them to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. You have four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. Uh, You will note that Matthew has 28 chapters, Luke has 24. John's Gospel has 21 chapters, but Mark has only 16 chapters. It is the shortest of the four Gospels. Uh, It was also the earliest to be written. Mark's gospel was written sometime around uh, 64, 65 A.D., uh, right around the time that the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul were executed. Uh, In fact, there's pretty good evidence to suggest that what Mark wrote down was the testimony of Peter, Peter's own testimony of his time with Jesus. So if Peter had written a gospel, it would be the gospel of Mark. But Peter did not live long enough to write one, and so Mark wrote it. Matthew and Luke come along in the 70s and 80s, and then John wrote sometime in the early 90s. Mark shows Jesus as an active Savior, busy, jumping from one scene to another with rapid succession. He wants to show Jesus in a hurry. But not in so much of a hurry that he doesn't take time to get away. The title of this message is Withdrawal Symptoms. And we're going to look in the Gospel of Mark for the symptoms that Jesus recognized in himself that led him to withdraw into solitude. All right, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That's verse 35. Now skip to verse 45. Starting in the middle of the verse, Jesus could no longer enter a town. And this is Mark chapter 1. You still got 15 chapters to go. Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. And yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word, for the opportunity to worship. And we pray that you would speak to us through Mark's gospel and show us something that became very important to you. And because it's important to you, it needs to be of importance to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't have to tell you that we are bombarded on every side by impulses and distractions and busyness. Uh, we are people who, in any, uh, any household that's here, you have a number of radios, probably multiple television sets, multiple computers, uh, many of 
the houses represented here are uh, homes where every person or the majority of people or maybe all the adults have a smartphone and every gadget that we have is connected to the internet in some fashion or form. Even our appliances beckon for our attention. And Christmas time, our kids got me and Amanda a new microwave. We had a microwave that sat on the countertop, and uh, you know the little keyboard, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero. Well, only the one and the four and the seven worked. And so whatever we cooked, it had to involve a time that included one, four, and seven. But it worked. I mean, you know, we could figure it out. You, you can do what you have to do. Uh, but they got us a, a microwave that, that is not a countertop, but it fits in place of where Amanda's oven hood was. So when Zach and Hillary gave it to us, Amanda wanted us to put it in, you know, like Christmas Eve. We couldn't wait till the New Year, I guess. And so we took the hood off, and we, we rigged it up, and we put in the microwave, and it's there now over our stove. It really, really looks good. It works great. But it talks to you. Uh, and it will remind you of stuff. It's really an aggravating microwave. I don't know how long it's going to last in our house, to be honest with you. Because this morning, I got up, and I was trying to be as quiet as I could, because I was the first one up, and I, I popped in uh, oatmeal, blueberry oatmeal, into the microwave. And I clicked a, a minute and 30 seconds, and at the end of a minute and 30 seconds, the microwave stopped, and it let me know with these loud beeps that the, that the oatmeal was done. Well, I wasn't quite ready to get it yet. I was busy doing something else. And about five seconds after it was done, the microwave put out these loud beeps again to let me know, hey, uh, big guy, you have left the oatmeal in the microwave and you need to get it out. And, and I had to set aside what I was doing just to get the microwave to shut up. We are bombarded with messages, with impulses, and they beckon for our attention. And and as a result, uh, what often happens, especially in the life of a Christian, is that God gets pushed out by the sensory overload from our surroundings. I mean, let me ask you, when was the last time you, you just stopped? I mean, literally stopped. And there was not a sound anywhere. Not the sound of a train, not the sound of a car, not the sound of your uh, central heating and air conditioning running or a dishwasher or a washer or dryer in the background. Absolutely nothing. And you just sat there in that silence. Those are rare moments, I think. I mean... Even in the silence of this moment right here, I can hear a distant motor running. You hear it? I mean, I've got hearing aids and I can hear it. Oh, man, yeah. Sometimes it seems God gets pushed out. In the Gospel of Mark, there are nine times, nine times in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus leaves crowds and gets by himself or pulls the disciples and, and just he and the disciples go off by themselves. Nine times. Now Mark has 16 chapters. 
There's somewhere around 16,600 words in the Gospel of Mark. Every 75 verses in the Gospel of Mark, Mark has Jesus going away by himself. Every 75 verses. That's almost like every time we turn around in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is saying, I got to get out of here. I got to get off by myself. I mentioned, I read the two passages, two verses from Mark chapter 1. Here are two other uh, verses where we see this out of the nine that Mark mentions. Mark chapter 3 verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. Chapter 8 verse 13. Then he left them, he got back into the boat and he crossed to the other side. That was right after Jesus fed the 5,000 plus people in Decapolis on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And while the disciples are picking up all the leftover fragments, Jesus steals away, gets in a boat, and goes on the other side of the lake by himself. And all of a sudden, the disciples and all these folks realize Jesus is gone, and, and they frantically start looking for where he went. Well, he went off by himself. In Luke's Gospel... Chapter 5, verse 16, Luke says that Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. So here Jesus is, and at the time that Mark and Luke are describing him, he's already of enormous popularity. People are are reaching out to him. People are going long distances just to get him to heal someone in their family. And, And Jesus is being pulled at every turn. And so in a time like this, we see Jesus separating himself and getting alone. Somebody said this, said, uh, He withdrew to the seaside, to the wilderness, to the mountaintops, to the desert. He withdrew from crowds, from small groups, with small groups, Jesus withdrew. When the stuff of life got too much, if it's possible for the stuff of life to get too much for Jesus, when the stuff of life got too much, he withdrew. When Jesus heard that his cousin John the baptizer had been arrested, Jesus withdrew. After feeding the 5,000, he withdrew in a boat to be alone. He withdrew to Bethsaida after the disciples came back full of themselves. He had sent them out two by two to preach and to heal people. And they came back after some time talking about all the wonderful things they had done. And Jesus, what did he do? He said, you know, I, I sent Satan fall like lightning from the sky. Then he turned around and he withdrew by himself. Now, if Jesus recognized in himself the necessity of withdrawal for solitude, what does that say to us? What does that say to us about our need from time to time to withdraw ourselves from all of the busyness and all the internet and all of the net streaming and all of whatever is, is, is challenging our attention How important must it be also for us to get away in solitude? Well, I want to point out four symptoms that Jesus recognized in himself that you and I need to recognize in ourselves that prompted him to withdraw. Withdrawal symptoms. First off, I want you to notice that when Jesus felt tested or when he anticipated being tested, he withdrew to a solitary place. Mark chapter 1 Verse 9, at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, Mark's 
active verb imagery. And the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. And at once, here it is, the Spirit drives him into the wilderness, the desert. And he was in the wilderness alone for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was accompanied by wild animals. And toward the end, angels attended him, ministered to him. When Jesus felt tested, or when Jesus anticipated a time of testing, he withdrew to a place of solitude. Second, when Jesus needed rest, he withdrew to a solitary place. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, this is what Jesus said to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. When Jesus anticipated testing, he withdrew to a solitary place. When Jesus realized that he needed rest, he withdrew to a solitary place. Mark chapter 14. In Mark chapter 14, we find the third part, and that is that Jesus, when he needed to be alone with God the Father, he withdrew to a solitary place. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here and pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, he said, to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. We know that they didn't. They fell asleep. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground, and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. When he needed Time alone with God the Father, Jesus withdrew to a solitary place. Mark 6, verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat, went ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd, and after leaving, him, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Did you know that the, day, that the night before Jesus uh, chose his 12 apostles, his 12 disciples, all night long, the night before he chose them, he spent time alone with God the Father praying. All night long. So when Jesus anticipated testing, he withdrew to a solitary place. When Jesus felt that he needed rest, he withdrew to a solitary place. When Jesus felt that he needed to be alone with God the Father, he withdrew to a solitary place. And fourth, when Jesus wanted to teach and listen, both teach his close friends and listen to his close friends, he withdrew to a solitary place. Mark 9, Mark chapter 9, verse 2, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. Same chapter, chapter 9, verse 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was alone teaching his disciples. Obviously, there is the benefit of being alone, the benefit of solitude. 
Carroll and Gregoire is uh, a journalist, uh, a psychology and health and fitness journalist. And some time ago, she wrote an article entitled The Benefits of Solitude. Now, these don't come out of a biblical text, but they certainly support what Jesus exemplified in his life, especially in the Gospel of Mark. And she, she gave the benefits of solitude. First, she says solitude can boost your creativity. It can give you an opportunity to tap deep into the reservoirs of the creativity that God has given each of us. Second, it can help alleviate depression. Now, too much solitude lends to depression, but a a certain amount of solitude helps to alleviate it. It helps us to get our bearings, retrieve our bearings. Third, solitude gives us a chance to slow down and recharge. You can't just go at 100 miles an hour, 24-7, 365. You can't do that. You'll run out of gas. Fourth, it gives us a chance to reflect. Time alone gives us an opportunity to reflect. I may have shared this with some of you before. But I talk to myself. I do. I'm about the only one that I can talk to who agrees with 100% of what I say. And so I talk to myself quite a bit. I was up early this morning, as I told you, talking with the microwave oven, arguing with it. Ate my oatmeal and I checked out some news articles and checked my email and and, uh, then I went upstairs and I took a shower. I have a certain routine in the morning. You don't want to know what the routine is, but I'm standing in front of the mirror after the shower and I'm talking to myself when my Amanda walks in the bathroom and I didn't know she was coming in. She says, who are you talking to? I said, me. Talking to me. Now, that sounds crazy. Maybe it is crazy, but I'll tell you what I'm able to do. I'm able to reflect and talk through some things. I have handled a lot of crises in my own life by simply talking through them during periods of solitude. Solitude gives us some time to reflect. It also can actually be fun. And then Gregoire also said that it helps us to improve memory and focus. Anybody memorize, anybody here do a lot of memorizing anything, do you? Uh, our generation doesn't do that. Back uh, years ago, that's, that's one, of the, one of the most common ways people learned is by memoriz- memorization. Um, you probably would be surprised how much you have memorized and just don't realize it. You find yourself going down the road singing a song. You don't have the words in front of you, but you know the song, you know, well, I, I'm 54, about to turn 55, and uh, although I'm not an old man, although some of you say that I am, I, I am very much aware of people my age and older who are suddenly having lapses in memory, and it troubles me. And so I have started memorizing things. I memorize poetry, I try to memorize scripture, uh, um, now, I'm not the best at it in the world. It takes time. But, but I'll tell you one thing that I have found. It, it, it mentally fatigues my brain, which is a good thing because that means I'm exercising my brain. But I'm going to tell you something else. This is kind of a, uh, an added blessing. 
especially when I'm memorizing Scripture, it blesses me. I mean, it blesses me. I mean, it's not something to brag about. I'm just telling you that when, when, when I, in my solitude, when I put some things to memory, it blesses me. John McCain was talking about uh, his time as a POW in Vietnam. And he says that there were, there were some people, there were some soldiers there in that POW camp in the Hanoi Hilton, which was the worst POW camp during the Vietnam War. And he said there were soldiers there who were, who were constantly memorizing or, or reciting Scripture that they had memorized. And he said that's how they got through the ordeal. And I can see that. We had, uh, we had a, uh, a baby dedication this morning and uh, had a little boy who was, this little boy was born on January the 7th, 2015. He was eight pounds, two ounces. And here we are 10 weeks later, and he weighed 14 and a half pounds. That bad boy had almost doubled in, yeah, that's right. That bad boy had almost doubled in size from the time that he was born until now. And uh, man, you're talking about a sack of taters. Timothy Disher was his name. But his, his, his mom and dad stood right here, and they held that baby, and, and uh, the rest of their family stood on each side. And, and I got to stand here and look them in the eye. And I said, you know, the best thing you can do for Timothy, talking to uh, Bradley and Carrie, his mom and dad, I said, the best thing you can do for Timothy is live a godly life in front of him, to love God and love each other. And then I said, you know, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaves never wither. Everything it does prospers. The ungodly are not that way. For they like the chaff that the wind blows away. For the ungodly cannot stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For God knows the ways of the righteous, but the ways of the wicked will perish. I says, your choice. You ever had anybody read Scripture to you without reading the page? It's hypnotizing. Well, that memorization for me happens during my times of solitude. Now, let me hasten to say this. All this I've said about the importance of solitude, there's a difference between being alone and being lonely. I'm not talking about being lonely I am talking about the benefit of being alone. You see, there's no place in Christianity for hermit Christianity. These folks who only stay to themselves and never interact with folks. Because, you see, Jesus often withdrew to be alone. Eleven times, I mean, nine times, as I said, in the 16 chapters of Mark. But he also encouraged fellowship and interaction with other human beings. The theologian Paul Tillich of a hundred years ago, a century ago, he said this, he says, language has created the word loneliness to express the pain of being alone and it's, it's, it's created the word solitude to express the joy, the glory of being alone. The pain of being alone 
versus the glory of being alone. You see, when I, when I say Jesus withdrew in solitude, he, he didn't withdraw into the pain of being alone. He withdrew into the glory of being alone. And we need both. So I want you to get this. In the Christian walk, you need times of solitude. Being alone with God, talking with Him, resting with Him, enjoying Him. But you also need times of interaction with other people. That's what the church is. The foundational principle of church is that we need other people and when you, when you combine the times of solitude with the times of interaction with people, the Bible clearly teaches that it provides a focus for us, a balance that we all need in our Christian lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for your example. You not only taught us, you exemplified what it means to live the Christian life. You told us and showed us that there are times when we need to spend time alone in solitude. But we don't need to live all of our lives in solitude. We need the interaction of other people. You you gave us the perfect example of balancing those two components of our Christian walk. And I pray that those of us who are here who are thinking about this today will commit ourselves to balancing solitude and interaction with others. Lord, no doubt somebody in this room has never invited Christ to be their Savior and they need to come and invite Christ into their hearts. Begin that relationship with you. There are other people who have already been saved and they need to unite with the church or they need to make a commitment to spend more time with you or maybe they just need to come and pray without having to tell anybody anywhere other than you what they want to talk with you about. God, I pray that you would move in this time right now, this invitation. It's the time when more, more often than any other time in a service, You change people's lives. And I pray that somebody's life will be changed beginning now. In Jesus' name, amen.